Chancellor Falwell and Vice Chancellor Godwin, faculty, and the great student body of Liberty University, I am honored and blessed by your invitation. These are interesting times we're living in, in the midst of moral relativism, social and economic uncertainty, war, natural disasters, and political ambiguity. One thing is still certain. The Church of Jesus Christ is alive and well. I have no idea who's going to occupy Pennsylvania Avenue come January of 2009. I have no idea whether or not Wall Street and the stock market will continue to fluctuate in respect to the credit crunch globally and, of course, domestically. I have no idea how many more banks are going to close down and how many more houses are going to be foreclosed. But one thing I know for sure, I know that God is still on the throne and that my Redeemer liveth. I believe that the best days for the church are yet to come. We cannot negate the fact that we're living in times of great consternation and flux. The rise of radical Islam, the devaluing of human life, the onslaught on the institution of marriage, the proliferation of popular culture with pornography and violence, all of these, of course, the attack on so many of our core values speak to a need of a fresh move of God's Holy Spirit. From Darfur to Islamabad, from Cape Town to London, from Buenos Aires to Boston, the world is crying out for help. You're not here by coincidence. You have a mission. Whatever your life journey may come out to be, whether that may be in the law field, in the field of medicine or in education or as pastors or missionaries. Your mission is not to acquiesce to the ideas of this world. Your mission is not to water down the gospel for the sake of the spiritually impaired. Your mission is not to abandon biblical orthodoxy for the sake of numerical metrics of success. Your mission is, regardless of whatever field you may be in, as the Apostle Paul instructed in 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, the second verse, to preach the word in and out of season. As the 21st century church grapples and debates with embedding the narrative of ecclesiastical terms with terms such as emerging postmodern, post-Christian and relevant, two terms need to re-emerge as prophetic and prominent pillars strengthening the ethos of modern Christian leadership. We need a generation to rise up in America and around the world committed to righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. The biblical character of Joseph personifies a man who lived a life of righteousness and justice. His journey from the pit to the palace included a ceremony where he received his robe, his ring, his necklace, and a second chariot. Let me read to you from Genesis the 41st chapter, the 42nd verse. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck, the 43rd verse. Then he had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. Permit us to extrapolate a number of guideposts and challenges from Joseph's experience. First, Joseph had a dream. Each of you in this place, you have a dream. Each of us have a dream. Throughout the course of human history, great men and women share a common possession, a dream. From Joseph to Daniel, from 
Martin Luther King Jr. to Mother Teresa, from Harold Ockengay, Billy Graham, and Jerry Falwell. History makes, history makers carry within them a prized possession. And that prized possession is a God-given dream. Martin Luther King's dream was to see white men and black men seated together at the master's table. Mother Teresa saw children out of poverty and flourishing under God's com comforting love. Dr. Ockengay to see the evangelical church in power to transform the world. Billy Graham to see millions come to the foot of the cross. And Jerry Falwell saw the equipping of next generation Christian leadership as world changers and history makers. At times when all strength is gone, when we no longer have the ability to continue in our journey, all we have left is that dream, that dream, that God-given purpose and vision for our lives. Joseph had a dream. His brothers were successful in stripping him of his robe, but they were not able to strip him of his dream. While he laid in the pit, he carried that dream. While he ran from Potiphar's wife, he ran with his dream. When he sat in the prison, he sat with his dream. Many of you, according to the current realities, economic and otherwise, may, should not even be here today. Some of you have been challenged financially, others by personal circumstances, and others by the enemy's plot to derail God's plan in your life. Yet here you are. You are here because God's dream and purpose in your life was greater than the circumstances surrounding your life. Your promise was greater than your problem. Your miracle was greater than your mistake, and your tomorrow shall be greater than your yesterday. Let me tell you, your dream will be challenged. Some will be threatened by your dream. Others will ridicule your dream. Yet others will be sent your way to make your dream a reality. It is interesting to note that Joseph began having a dream, then he shifted to interpreting dreams, and finally he concluded by making the dreams of others come true. Your dream will become a reality when you serve someone else's dream first. My first challenge before you, hold on to your dream, for our God is faithful to finish the work that he has started. The second guidepost and challenge stems from the ring and the necklace. Historically, in the context of the Old Testament, Jewish people used the ring as a symbol of authority. Jewish tradition identifies the necklace for similar applications. The signet of the king stamped and sealed documents and treaties. Now listen carefully. Via the avenue of a metaphor, I ask you, what will your generation stamp this time in history with? What will this generation say of us? Will they say these are the Christian leaders who departed from biblical orthodoxy? Or will they say these are the lawyers and teachers, the world changers and history makers, even the pastors and evangelists and missionaries, theologians, who ushered in a great renewal and revival? Let us not surrender our authority. John Adams stated the following, because power corrupts, society demands for moral authority and character to increase as the importance of one's position increases. I challenge you to be the preservers of biblical and moral authority. 
We must address the challenges before us, not from the impetus of political expediency or demagoguery, but rather let a generation arise that will utter the words of David as he approached the giant Goliath. You come against me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Let me make it clear that our authority stems not from the square footage of the ministry facilities or the number of hits on our website or from the management of our investment portfolio. Our authority and our stamp upon this generation stems from the word of God, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and a life of righteousness and justice. Today, we live in a world polarized by ideology, extremism, and fear. What is our challenge? Our challenge is to break free from stereotypical imagery placed upon us by those that desire to diminish our authority and influence. Here is the query before us. As Christians, as born-again people, what will we seal this generation with? We must stamp this generation with hope. Not hope that comes as a, an extension of a political platform or rhetorical verbiage for the sake of motivating the affective domain, but hope from the word of God. Hope via the avenue of righteousness and justice. Hope by speaking, preaching, and living the gospel. We must address injustice and unrighteousness in our cities, in our nation, and in the world. We cannot be silent while there's still genocide in Darfur. We must not stay silent while our children are thought that marriage encompasses various definitions. I don't care what the Supreme Court of California decided. I don't care what the power brokers in Hollywood attempt to convey to the media of popular culture. Marriage is not a political institution. It is an institution founded by God as a sacred union between one man and one woman. We must not stay silent while the spirit of Herod continues to assault children in and out of the womb. We cannot stay silent while the spirit of Sodom and Gomorrah inundate our culture. And we cannot stay silent while Sunday morning continues to be the most segregated day in America. We must continue to be prophetic, truth tellers. We must address issues of poverty and sex trafficking and the disenfranchised. We must reconcile John 3.16 with Luke chapter 4 and declare that the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. To proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To declare the year of the Lord's favor. The challenge before you is to stamp this generation with justice. We must understand that the cross is both vertical and horizontal. It is kingdom and it is transformation. It is redemption and it is relational. It is conviction and it is compassion. But let's not forget, in the cross, the horizontal could never stand on its own. The vertical can stand on its own. There are those, there are those even in these times in our nation 
that are caught between the proverbial rock and the hard place, even those within our own Christian community, followers of Christ, that are debating in this election cycle whether or not their priorities should be horizontal or they should be vertical. My friends, seek ye first the kingdom of God and all things then shall be added unto thee. We must be Christians first. Our priority is to vote according to the values of the kingdom of God. Recently I was asked, but the economy trumps everything else. I know we're going through tough economic circumstances. I understand that. But there is something even more important than that which is in my wallet or in my bank account. It is our commitment to the preservation of life, to the preservation of traditional marriage, to the preservation of our Judeo-Christian value system. Vertical trumps horizontal. The third guidepost and the challenge stems from the robe. After his pit and prison experience, Joseph graduated to the palace and the king placed upon him a robe. Understand this, that when the world strips you, when circumstances remove your covering, the king will always dress you. We need to understand that we have in our hands the robe, the ring, and that necklace. We have that, that robe of many colors, that multifaceted robes speaks to the need of a generation that will rise up with a multi-platform presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One, this generation speaking to that multi-faceted robe must be committed to biblical orthodoxy. We must be committed to speaking truth, to come against moral relativism. They say things about your generation. Sociologists at Harvard and Yale and Princeton, I had the opportunity earlier on this season to speak both at Yale and at Princeton. They say things about this generation. They say that you live in the world of the gray, that you're not committed to moral absolutes, that you do not necessarily believe that there is a moral compass in respect to what is right and what is wrong. I repudiate that. I challenge them to come to Liberty University where you will find a generation that understands that there is a right and that there is a wrong, that there is righteousness and justice, that there is the word of God, that there is truth, and the heavens and the earth shall pass away, but God's word shall never pass away. That is this generation. So for those that believe that America is going to hell in a handbasket, I challenge them to come to Liberty University and see the future of America. Those that will transform our nation and the world. Not for the sake of a political party, for the kingdom of God is not red state or blue state. It's not Republican or Democrat. It's not liberal or conservative. The kingdom of God is righteousness, it is peace, and it is joy in the Holy Spirit. Second, not only biblical orthodoxy, and we still believe again that what the Bible said was wrong 2,000 years ago, was wrong 1,000 years ago, is wrong today. And we're committed to speaking truth. But similarly, we're committed to a kingdom culture ethos, to a multi-ethnic presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're committed to a multi-general presentation, multi-generational. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and we're committed to reconciling righteousness and justice. Some would call that incarnational missiology, a transformational, a missional approach. We will preach the gospel that includes both the fish and the bread. The Luzon Covenant of 1974, the whole gospel to the whole world, to the whole church. The cross, both vertical and horizontal. Let me finish with this. There's a reason while I am here today because of a dream and a father who believed in facilitating the platform for this young man's dream. I was born in the summer of 1969 and those in faculty that are here today are that are viewing this uh, via the different means that we have. If you were raised in the 1960s, I was born in 69, it was a tumultuous season in America. It was the, the, the peak of the counterculture movement in America, the hippie movement. 1969, a lot more than a Brian Adams song. In summer of 1969, that means I was raised throughout the 70s. My teenage years were lived throughout the 1980s. I'm a Generation Xer. That makes me really messed up. Michael Jackson was the number one guy in my generation, and that speaks accolades to a lot of things, man. So it was, I was confused between MTV and Miami Vice, and, and then I was raised in Pennsylvania. It was just one messed up season for me. My daddy, my daddy seen all the, just the amount of economic and then the gang violence and then the social inner decay moved us to Pennsylvania. I was raised in a town, a little small town called Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And old little town of Bethlehem. And being raised in Bethlehem, my daddy had this commitment. My daddy's commitment was to every day, he worked for Mack Trucks, retired to Mack Truck, worked for 32 years. My daddy had a commitment, it was to take us to school every morning then go to work. But he would take me to school every morning, 7.48 in the morning, my daddy would drop me off of school. And before I would walk out, my daddy would say, God has given you a dream. And that dream will become a reality. And every day he would do this, every single day. He would put his hands upon me and he would say, Heavenly Father, cover him with the blood, protect him from all evil and fulfill your purpose in his life. And being Hispanic of Hispanic descent, then my daddy would kiss me on both sides of the cheek. That's great when you're in kindergarten, first grade, second grade. But then I got into junior high school. Daddy still wanted to drop me off. And daddy continued to drop me off. And 7.48 in the morning, daddy would lay hands on me right before he would go to work. And he would say one more thing before you leave. And he would say, Heavenly Father, cover him with the blood. Protect him from all evil. Fulfill your purpose in his life. But then that's good. Then the little kisses and that's fine. Then I'm entering high school, Liberty High School, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Now, this is 14 years old, puberty. You don't want to have your daddy kiss you in front of 2,248 students and lay hands on you at 7.48 in the morning. 7.40 in the morning, freshman year, and it's the 1980s, so I had my Miami Vice outfit, pastels, light blue. It was outrageous, man the beginning of the MTV generation. And here I came along and daddy prayed for me. And now daddy dropped me off in the back alley of Liberty High School, large school. It's true story, 16 years old, daddy comes in. It's your birthday, son. I go, daddy, what do you have? He gave me the keys to a 1978 Z28 Camaro. Eagle GT tires, hydraulic shocks, tinted windows, I had so much armor on the seats that if I would sit in the passenger, I would just slide through the other side of the door. This thing was shining. 
The day after he gave me the car, I took the keys, and I, and I was hooked, man. I was ready to go, ready to show my, my, my friends my car. And I'm approaching the door to leave our house with keys in hand, and I hear this voice, where are you going, son? And I go, Dad, I'm, the, man, the car, I'm going to, you're taking me to school today, aren't you? He said, absolutely, to the day you graduate. <laughs> oh, so here I am, 16, 17 years old. Daddy would drop me off in front of 2,248 students at Liberty High School, put his hands on me and say, Heavenly Father, cover him with the blood, protect him from evil, fulfill your purpose in his life. So I found myself a few years back. I found myself in the office of Senator Bill Friss, at that time the majority leader of the Senate, Senator Bill Friss walks to me, and I'm sitting down in his office one-on-one, -on -one, one of many interviews, many conversations. And he says, Reverend, I'm going to get you something to drink. What would you like? Get me a Coke, please, Senator. Here's the Senator, the majority leader of the Republican Party in the Senate, getting a Coke for Samuel Rodriguez, born in Newark, New Jersey, raised in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And I asked myself, what in the world am I doing here? Years before, I heard God's call upon my life. God's call vertical to win others for the sake of Christ with the message of the gospel. And I also saw the horizontal call to be a voice for our community here in America. I was 14 years old when I received that call. I found myself in the White House of President Bush. I found myself meeting with the most prominent political leaders in America. I was found myself invited to the United Nations addressing issues of righteousness and justice. Why? Because God had given me a dream and I held on to that dream regardless of the circumstances that came to my life. Listen carefully. God has given you a dream. Your dream shall come to pass. If you're committed to righteousness and justice, to live a life above reproach and a life of truth and morality, your dream shall come to pass. I have a son named Nathan. I want you to know that my dad's disease of praying for me in the morning is genetic. I have a son named Nathan. Nathan is now a, fresh, a freshman in high school and I drop him off and guess what I do every morning when I drop him off? Nathan, before you leave, I have something to say. Heavenly Father, cover him with the blood. Protect him from all evil fulfill your purpose in his life. This generation has destiny. This generation has great calling. And let me finish with this. Pharaoh rendered unto Joseph the second chariot. Why the second and not the first? Because the second chariot belonged to the king. My final challenge to you is to remind you to stay in the second chariot. The first chariot belongs to the king. God is in command. He goes first. He is the king, and all the honor and the glory belongs to him. If we stay in the second chariot, then we can truly say, if God be for us, who can be against us? If we stay in the second chariot, then we can say, no weapon formed against shall prosper. Let this be a generation that will dare to dream, do justice, be dressed in righteousness, and give God glory. Our challenge is to walk in the shadow of the Almighty, and not ahead of it. John Calvin stated the following, it behooves us to accomplish what God requires of us, even when we are in the greatest despair, respecting the results. 
The challenge before us is not whether or not we are purpose-driven or presence-driven, seeker-friendly or spirit-friendly, emerging or traditional, reconciling via the avenue of righteousness and justice. We will enable us to be both prophetic and practical, biblically-based and seeker-receptive, locally transformative and globally impactful, revived, raised up, and at the end of the day, unapologetically relevant. The world doesn't need any more churches. It doesn't need any more teachers or doctors or business administrators. What the world needs are more churches and doctors and teachers and business administrators full of the power of God, committed to the cause of Jesus Christ. That's what the world needs. We have a dream, a dream to build his kingdom and not our own, to infiltrate the culture, not just cultural engagement, but cultural reformation with a biblical worldview to contextualize the narrative of 21st century Christianity. Therefore, I challenge you, in whatever field you go in, preach the word, fulfill the great commission, equip the saints, make disciples, worship him in spirit and in truth, renew your minds daily, and walk humbly before your God. What will history say about this time? Let not the defining moment of this generation be 9-11 or the war on terror. Let history say that a generation rose up with the favor of the Father, the grace of the Son, and in the power of the Holy Spirit with renewal and reformation that once again transformed the nations. Hold on to your dream. Make an imprint of justice. Be covered in righteousness and all things give God glory. And I leave you with the words of John Wesley. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. God bless you and God bless Liberty University. Thank you.